the struggle is not meant to destroy you. No. You've got God on your side. He fights your battles. He's with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. So the struggle can't destroy you. It's not meant to destroy you. It's meant to deploy you. So wherever you're, whatever you're going through, God wants to do something through that to get you where he wants you to be. And I said also that the struggle doesn't define you. It refines you. Don't allow the struggle that you might be going through to allow it to say, oh, I guess this is who I am. This is all it will ever be. That's a lie. That is not the truth. And uh, y'all just looking at me, but do you understand what I'm trying to say tonight? Do you get it? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Because I'm going further than this tonight. But you've got to recognize that it's there to refine you. God's not going to leave you in this place. He's taking you somewhere. He's taking me somewhere. He's taking us all somewhere. And the thing I kept praying last night in the spirit and came out in English was that this church is changing. It will never be the same again. I keep, I kept hearing that and saying it. This church is changing and it will never be the same again. Father, tonight, take the remainder of this time and help us to grow us, groom us, prepare us, refine us, deploy us. We thank you for your anointing, Lord God, all throughout this evening, what you've done through us. And the enemy's on the run tonight, Lord God. Give us more revelation as it concerns our lives. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. Second Corinthians chapter 4, 7, Paul is not gloating, but he's trying to explain to his audience that he is um, somebody who's not a novice, that he's been somebody who has been through a battle or two, a struggle or two. And he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And if you think the devil doesn't know that God's put a treasure in you, you got another thing coming. He knows. And his whole objective is to stop you, but he cannot stop us. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We, listen to this, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Whew, Jesus. We are hard pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. In other words, I've been through a battle or two, and I'm here to tell you, I'm still standing after all these years. Come on, somebody. And it's in the struggle that you will either identify with the pain or you'll identify with the purpose of what God's trying to do through your life and the reason why you're going through the battle and that struggle in the first place. I'm, I'm not going to talk about battles as much as struggle because I'm, I'm, I have a whole message series that I began a couple weeks ago called Battle Royale, and it's helping a lot of people, some deep revelation coming out of that. But I want to make this statement. You're, you are only as good as what you've been challenged to become. The struggle will challenge you to be extraordinary. And if we want to have extraordinary lives, extraordinary destinies, then we got to go through stuff that not ordinary people are willing to walk through. 
And for some reason, you're just crazy like I am to say yes to God. No matter what it costs, I will do it. I will go. Send me, Lord. If any man be in Christ, everybody say in Christ. And that's those that are born again believers. That's you and I. He is a what? A new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So God wants a new expression out of us, especially it started the day we got born again. We became new creatures in Christ Jesus. We're no longer uh, that old person. I'm not the old Jeff that used to live for himself and, 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 and sin and going to hell. But now I've been born again, and I, I have the rights now to be called a child of God, and I have the privilege to be called a child of God, and uh, I have uh, rights to his throne. The Bible says I'm an heir to God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus, and I get to go to heaven by way of the blood of Jesus Christ. So incredible uh, promise there of something new that had never happened before in my life started the day I got born again. But it's never ended. I think that sometimes we think that because when we got saved, that was the end of the newness. That is only the beginning. Every, his mercies are new every day. Come on, someone say every morning. So, so every, every time we walk with him, talk with him every day, every 24-hour period cycle, something new is trying to emerge in our life. But you got to be in Christ. So if I'm living for myself, born again, going to heaven, but still living for Jeff, I'm not going to find the newness, the freshness. I'm not going to be able to shed the old wineskins, as it were, and move into a new day unless I stay in Christ. If I'm in Christ, that means I can be out of Christ. Amen. I can make decisions and my mindsets and not go all the way with God. So we gotta we gotta understand that we gotta be in Christ, and if we're in Christ, we won't be as, in as much crisis. That's a promise you can hang on to for a long, long, long time. So when you're in Christ, less crisis in your life. How many of you know that Jesus is the Word of God? He is the Word of God, and we find that we find that, and all throughout the Scriptures, we see in the Book of Revelations and also in the Gospels. And when that woman with the issue of blood came into contact with Jesus, into contact to receive her healing, and she she pressed in, and they didn't even know she was there, and she was bleeding internally, she was hemorrhaging from the inside. And the Bible says that when she touched Jesus, that virtue flowed out of Jesus and touched her at the very point of her need. Now the reason Jesus knew that is because he turned around and said, who touched me? And they said, he's, they all said, Lord, what? They almost chuckled to themselves and said, Lord, everybody, hundreds, if not thousands of people have been touching you all day long. You want to know who touched you? We don't know. Everybody's been touching you. Yeah, but somebody touched me in a way I've not been touched all day long. That woman found her, her, her need was answered in Christ. Somebody say amen. She pressed in, and when she touched him, the virtue or the anointing or the power of God flowed out of Jesus and into that woman. She didn't have to tell him, Lord, would you pray for the specific need? She didn't say one thing. She just simply reached and touched him, and at that point, she was healed of her flow of blood, completely radical. And Jesus said, go in peace. In other words, all the money you spent on those physicians, all that war for you've had for 12 long years it's over starting today virtue is trans is transformative power by the way and i'm not going to unpack all that tonight because i am studying right now about the anointing and 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 how it flows because the lord gave me something very specific to tell the church about the anointing but it's interesting because they flow hand in hand um, um proverbs 10 says this the blessing of the lord everybody say the blessing the blessing of the lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Y'all didn't hear that. 
I can put on clothes, but if, if this credit card clothes, there's sorrow with the clothes. But when they're given to me, hallelujah, it's a blessing to God, right? Or I can pay for something cash. That's the riches of God. And, and again, the Bible says that the blessing makes one rich. That word rich means well supplied. The Jerusalem translation says, th says that scripture this way. The blessing of Yahweh is what brings riches and this hard toil has nothing to add. In other words, he says the blessing brings riches, but hard toil, which is struggling, will not add to it. The world needs, they need the struggle broken in life. And I say the world, but the truth is the church needs their struggle to be over in their life. We got people in church members still broke as a joke. Government's broke. Family's broke. Society's broken. And there's only one way to fix this world. Only one way, way to fix the church. And that's through the blessing of God. And the blessing of God is the covenant. Again, I'm studying the anointing. And they kind of go hand in hand. But let me just say it this way. The blessing of God is the covenant of God. It's God's covenant. In other words, he says something that he will never, ever, ever, ever take back again. Whatever he promised, it's in a covenant, it's an agreement. He'll never take it back. It's forever solid, completely founded. You'll never have a problem with God saying, nope, sorry, not for you. It's a covenant. The blessing is the covenant of God that overrides the curse. Which, by the way, the curse is what? It's when we toil. Hard work with little to no results. That's why we struggle. Because we're still working under the curse because we don't understand the blessing of God. The blessing is something we receive when we got saved, but to activate it, it's going to take your faith. Blessing also is the anointing of God through which divine favor flows. I love favor, y'all. I love favor. Favor ain't fair, but it's fun. Amen. I like when things just happen for me. Also, the blessing is the power of God to produce and to reproduce in one's life. In other words, God gives you an, an ability to reproduce or to produce something you couldn't do without that blessing. And we find that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping, uh, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, the blessing that God gave Adam, that, that same power that God used to create the world, God gave to mankind. Gave it to Adam, which was to be passed down to further generations. And by the way, this is our identity. The struggle that you're going through isn't over the circumstance that you're in, it's over who you really are. It's over your identity. And I'll get to that maybe, if not tonight, sometime next week. But notice, <clears throat> there was an assignment attached to the blessing. God just doesn't give you a blessing of uh, uh, that favor, that covenant, that promise, um, that, uh, that ability to do what you couldn't do without him, his might or his strength upon your life. He doesn't just give it so you go, ooh, I, man, God gave me something pretty cool. Wow, I'm blessed. No. It's not so you can get a Holy Ghost goosebump. Come on, somebody talk to me. I like Holy Ghost goosebumps. They're fun, right? But I don't live by them because I may not have one tomorrow. And if God don't give me one tomorrow, does that mean that God's not operating in my life? No. 
I got to walk by faith and not by my feelings or my emotions or my sight. Amen. So the blessing is far more valuable than just that. The blessing was given to you based upon the assignment that God gives you. If you have no assignment, you don't get the blessing. The blessing is only to carry out the assignment. Notice he tells Adam, he says, I bless you. And then he says, be fruitful and multiply. He gives him an assignment. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over everything that's on the earth. So God says, I've given you work to do. If I say work. I should say work, work. Work, work, amen. Work, work, why? Because we got to remind ourselves that we're not just here, come on, to have a church experience, but we are on top of the mountain, we get what we need from God, and we go back in that valley and we build the kingdom the way God wants it done. Y'all don't want to hear that tonight? And the blessing is what I achieve when I'm on top of the mountain, but it's not so that I can fill it unto myself, but I go back into the valley so that I can produce for God, so I can actually work for God, so that I can reproduce and produce for the Almighty God. He gives me an assignment to carry out. And the reason why Jeff Pruitt's blessed is not because he said, I like you, you spend time with me. No, it's because I spend time with him, yes, but it's more than that. It's because I have an assignment that's been given to me by God. You have an assignment. You may not know it yet because you make it too difficult. Some of you are still crying the blues. I don't know what I'm called to do. Come on, you've been saved 10 years and you still don't know what you're called to do. You know what it is? You want somebody else's assignment and because it hasn't happened for you yet, you think you ain't got an assignment. Why don't you stop looking at somebody else and say, Lord, make me who I am. I want to be all that I am. All that you create, God sets you up a certain way. You, you, you're called to do what you're called to do. But the problem is we'd say, well, it's not, if it's not this, then it must not be important, and therefore I don't want that. Why is it in church culture everybody got to have a title? I didn't plan to preach this, but I'm going to go ahead and preach it. They dream of a title. Give me, I'm Dr. So-and-so. I'm Reverend So-and-so. I'm Minister So-and-so. My God. When I go out there in the world, here's how I introduce you got, you People that get, they love their titles. They go out there and say, I'm minister so-and-so. You know how I go out there? My name is Jeff Pruitt. Let them call you a man of God. Let them call you reverend. Let them call you doctor. Let them call you prophet. Let them call you apostle. How is it that we got all these apostles? Oh, I'm going to get in trouble now. And all these bishops, and they ain't got one church under them. We call those things that be not the You're lying. That ain't the truth. What you like is title. What you like is to feel good because you're important. You're already important, baby. God's already got a call on you. He wants to give you his assignment. Quit ripping off somebody else. Is that good preaching tonight? Can't do that on Sunday morning. They'll kick me out of the church. Praise God. Thursday night crowd can get it. Praise the Lord. So notice there's an assignment that's attached to the blessing. Where there is no assignment or purpose, there can be no blessing. God blessed male and female. He blessed them both. And the word fill, fill the earth and subdue it, is the word replenish. And replenish means to resupply. It means to stock in abundance. It means to recover former fullness. So it's like a, a guy that we hire at Walmart, 
and he goes in the back, and he at when, once the product has has been um, depleted, he goes and does what? He restocks the shelf, right? So it's prepared for what? To go out the next day, and he goes back in. He restocks the shelf. So God's saying, I've given you a blessing or an anointing. Listen to this: to never run out of supply. Half y'all caught it. Half he's like. Mm. Keep preaching. Keep preaching. So we're like a stock boy or stock girl, and we're and we've been anointed to put it back. But it's never for us to consume for ourselves. It's for others. Come on, somebody. And whatever God gives me, He gives me. But it's not. I don't save it. I don't hoard it. Come on. Manna was meant to be collected and used and eaten that day. And if you didn't eat that day, what happened to it? You try to store it. What do what? Turned into worms, got sour. Nobody could eat it after that. God said, what you gather, you gather today by faith. You wake up tomorrow and believe me again for tomorrow. So we have an assignment by God that we've been blessed, anointed, favored, um, empowered to be able to resupply and to restock. It's a revelation. I'm getting stronger in my own life every single day. Getting stronger in my life. To bless, <clears throat> to bless is to say something good about something. When you bless it, you bless it, you say something good. Or to say something by faith. Something that maybe isn't there quite yet. You speak over uh, a family member or somebody in your life or even yourself. Thereby, by speaking it in faith, when you bless it, you empower it to come to pass. When you see the negative, there will be pressure on your tongue to speak the curse rather than the blessing. The curse is anything opposite to what God has said. <laughs> I'm preaching real good, man. I think I need to order the, I'm sorry, I got to get that. You know, preachers preach best when they preach themselves. Hallelujah. So we speak uh, the word of God, which is to bless. I am the heel of the Lord. I am prosperous. We go down the list, right? And then when we don't see the change happen. God, I'm so bad at this. That's why I preach it all the time. I screw this up all the time. But the one thing good about your pastor is he recognizes it and gets back on board again. But I'm the same. I'm no different than anybody. When I don't see change, I get angry. I'm like, what is that, Bruce Banner? Who's the guy turns into the Hulk? You won't like me when I'm angry. I mean, I get angry. I want to throw stuff. You know, I get angry. And I don't, I, you know, my deal is this. If it ain't going to move, God, if you ain't going to move it, I'm going to move it. I'm going to move it. Something's going to move today. You know, we're moving today. And then I reckon, yes, amen, brother. <laughs> and so the truth is, the truth is, I go, well, I can't do that because every time I try to do that, I end up, I mean, it gets worse. So I recognize I can't do that. So I got to take a step back, take a breathe and say, wait a second now. My head is screaming to say something that is opposing to what God has promised, thereby I'm injecting the curse into what God has said will come to pass, which is going to put me back. It's going to put me back 10 paces, right? So I got to say, wait a second, there's pressure on my tongue. 
Remember, uh, James says that your tongue is like the rudder of a ship. Though it be small, it can turn massive ships in whatever direction it wishes to. How does the ship turn by the rudder, from the rudder to the, to the stern? How does it turn? It turns by way of the pressure that's applied to the rudder. And your tongue is like the rudder. And by the way, the rudder is where? Not on top of the surface, but below the surface. Mm, come on, somebody. It's not what you just say in public. It's what you say behind closed doors. It all matters. There's still power. There's still, matter of fact, behind closed doors, you tend to say things a little more aggressively that carries with it authority. You got to watch what you say because you are a person of authority. So you decree things. It's going to be the curse or it's going to be the blessing. Watch what you say. There's power behind what you say. So there's pressure to say the wrong thing. But if you keep that rudder in position, sooner or later, that big ship, it won't turn on a dime. But it will begin to begin to turn and it will go in the direction that you wish it to go into. Amen. Big difference between the blessing and cursing. Absolute opposites. Now, <clears throat> there was a man, uh, I heard this story years ago. And by the way, bless your children. Lay hands on your kids. I don't care if they're 45 years old. Just say, get over here, boy. Get them on knee. In Jesus' name, Lord bless them. You got you to gotta learn to bless your children. I blessed my, both my children while they were still in the womb. And then uh, I, I've blessed them ever since, since they've been little bitty kids. And they're all doing great. They're not perfect. Nobody's perfect, but I'm saying, but they're, but they're serving God. If there's anything we want our children to do at the end of the day, just serve Jesus and everything else will come into place. So um, bless your kids. But I heard a, a guy say one time, talking about the power of your words and your thinking that connects with your words. Because it comes down to that. Guy was visiting an, an Arab nation and, um, and uh, it's a true story. <clears throat> he was there and he was a minister and he, was, he blessed a bunch of um, Arabs that were there and some got saved and some were considering Christ. And, and um, so this Arab picked him up and he was going to fly him back on his private jet to America. And before he did, he says, I want to tell you, you really blessed us. And we're so happy to have you here. What is it I can do for you? He says, oh, you don't need to do anything for me. You guys have already blessed me. He goes, no, please. Please, it is our custom. What, what can I do for you? And he couldn't think of anything. And he's a golfer, so he went, I just, I, if you want to buy me a, he said, what can I buy? He goes, I, I, a golf club. I'll take a golf club. He couldn't think of nothing. So he goes, done, done. You know, did his little thing. Got on the plane, took off. Three weeks later, gets a phone call, sets up a meeting with the Arab. The Arab shows up with a title deed in his hand. He said, your golf club. He said, my what? Your golf club. He said, like, what do you mean? Like, golf club? He said, no, your golf club. He said, I bought you a golf course with a beautiful, sprawling golf club. Come on, somebody. Y'all didn't hear that. Come on. What's that saying? That's thinking on another level. Come on. He was thinking, putt, putt. Come on, somebody. And the air was like, money's no, no object. Oh, you said golf club. I got you what you meant, what I thought you meant, right? That's how God, God thinks expansive. We think small. He thinks huge. Amen. Someone said, hey, I would like to own a house one day. That's great. And that's awesome to think that way. But somebody else may think, I want to own real estate one day. Just, it's just another way of looking at life and believing God. By the way, the same faith it takes to do one, it takes to do the other. <laughs> That's so good. As a man thinks in his heart, what? So is he. 
What the, that saying is, the essence of who you are is based on what you think or upon your thinking. And you will move in the direction of your most dominant thoughts. Whatever you think on the most is the direction that your life is taking. And if you don't like the way your life is going, you got to change the way you think so it can come out your mouth differently because there's power in here. And when it comes out of your mouth, it goes into the earth and it produces what you say. Did you all catch that? So redirected thinking produces a redirected life. If you want to change your life, you got to redirect your thinking. Start believing what God's word says. Start speaking what God says, and you will see it, see it happen. It's all done by the Spirit. And, of course, you work and you toil, you toil but you toil now in the blessing, not under the cursing. Um, the word of God says that Jesus was the last Adam, meaning that Adam um, broke the system. That was put in place. It was perfect, but through his sin, he broke the system by doing it his own way. And then the struggle, the toil came as a result. But Jesus, or was it Jesus, restored what the first Adam broke. And now Eden is still here. But it's not the Garden of Eden somewhere in the Middle East. But Eden now, the garden is in us, inside of us. And now we're responsible for what God gives us. Adam lost his authority, but Jesus got it back at the cross of Calvary. And when he came up out of that grave, he had won victory over the devil. And now all authority was given to him. And he says, I now give you all authority. Church, this has to be received by the Spirit. This has to be received by revelation because it can't be done in the natural. Adam had to manage the garden. We think of the garden, we're thinking it's a little bit, you know, four rows of corn and some peas and some cabbage and a couple of trees, maybe a little brook of water. No. The one, one river, there were four, one river alone was 1,500 miles long. So he was going to have to rule and govern by the Spirit. It couldn't just be by the natural, being one person, his wife being two people. It would have to be done by the Spirit, right? And so look what it says in Psalms 8, verse 3. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your, your glory above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? And that's really the question lots of us have had. And the son of man that you visit him. In other words, we're just insignificant compared to you. For you have made him a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. And you have made him, watch this, to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Everybody smile at me. There's your authority. There's your dominion. You were created to rule and reign with him on earth. And you were created to win every struggle, every battle, every circumstance. Everything's put under your feet. You've got, been crowned with glory and honor. You've been had dominion over everything that he made. And the Bible says that God made you a little lower than the angels. And, and theologians wrestle with this a little bit. But your Bible will say uh, angel is the, is the Hebrew word Elohim. So it's translated angel, but that's not really a good translation. It really should be translated a little lower than God himself. So God made you in his image to be lower. The angels are really not lower than us, although um, there, there may be some cases where that God allows that kind of hierarchy and authority to go forth in the earth. But the truth is, we've been made like God in the earth. Jesus walked on water to complete what? An assignment. He had to get to the other side. 
He could only do that by revelation and by the Spirit. And when you walk in the Spirit by revelation, revelation is simply light, the light of God's Word. Put it to you that way. It's like, it's like his Word comes alive, like, you know, the cartoon, the light bulb goes off of the head. Bing, okay, I got it now. That's what revelation is like. I know that I know that I know what his Word is saying right here, and I believe it. And now that I'm walking in the Spirit, now as I'm walking in the Spirit by the revelation of God's Word, by the light of God's Word, what happens to me? I am no longer subject to the laws of physics and the laws of man and earth. Something different begins to happen. You and I can't heal anybody, but the Bible says that if we do it by faith, we can lay hands upon the sick and they'll recover with no medicine, no surgery. Come on, somebody. But they will recover. Well, that's defying the laws that govern man, right? So God allows it. It's called signs, wonders, and miracles, right? So Jesus walked on water. I don't say tonight you should go out to Lake Michigan and, and start walking on water, praise God. Start in your bathtub. Hallelujah. And once you conquer that, then you can go to something, maybe a pool in the, in the shallow end and then start from there. Come on, somebody say amen. So, but, but they were afraid. When he walked on the water, he walked on something as solid as this platform, and he was walking on the water, and they were afraid. And in their minds, they couldn't conceive of the fact that a human being was walking. So they thought he was a what? A ghost. A spirit. And I don't know if they ever saw one before, but that's what they thought. That's a, it's a spirit walking on. They didn't, could not believe that it was flesh and blood, 185-pound man walking on water. How is that even possible? But he defied the laws of physics because he walked in the spirit. And church, we've got to get out of the box of how we think things should be done and start trusting God with what he says. He'll, he'll do the rest. And don't be afraid. They were so freaked out afraid that their mind could not conceive it. So they couldn't believe it, right? Fear negates the blessing. Fear takes the blessing and says, hold up. Can't have you not right now in my life. It will take faith to operate in the blessing. Fear is to the devil what faith is to God. Faith gives God the ability to work in your life. So fear gives the devil ability to work in your life. Faith comes in light. Fear comes in darkness. Faith in God is in the kingdom of light. Fear in the devil in the kingdom of what? Darkness, right? The good news is that when darkness comes into our lives, if we'll just simply turn the light on, darkness has got to go. So the light of his word, the light of his testimony, the light of his presence, the light of God in our lives, right, comes alive. It pushes out the darkness. Darkness never, ever, you don't turn darkness on. Just look in space. It's dark matter. You got to have light. But when light comes on the scene, it's so much, 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 much more powerful than darkness. And it exposes everything that's in darkness. That is so good. Amen. Okay. What time is 820? I got another hour. Good. Praise God. Let's go. Let's go. That's the power of faith and the blessing of God. It supersedes time and space and the laws of science. The Bible says that you are seated with Jesus in heavenly places. We're seated with him in heavenly places. Wait a second. I'm on earth. Ah, yes. 
But positionally and spiritually, you're with him there in heavenly places. So you supersede the laws of man. When you pray, think of yourself as somebody that goes into the courtroom of God. It's like you walk out of the room and you're there in the courtroom of God. Now, I know physically you're still here, but spiritually speaking, you are in the throne room of the Almighty. And he says, state your case, right? And you're able, that's what you do when you pray. You're stating your case, right? Philip um, was baptizing a man after receiving Jesus as his Lord and Savior, the eunuch. And, he baptized, and before the man comes up out of the water... The Lord needed him in a city 30 miles away. He had no transportation to get there and didn't have any time to waste. And God translated him. Beam me up, Scotty. Come on, somebody. He went from one place to another place in a blink of an eye. Physically translated him from one place to another. How about this? Twice they tried to kill our Jesus before the cross. Twice they tried to do it. Once to stone him. Another time to throw him over the, the, the side of a hill. And what happened? The Bible said he walked through the midst of them and they couldn't see him. Everything God is going to do for you, he's already done. And I'm saying that because it's done by the Spirit first. You don't got to see with your natural eyes. You got to trust him. He'll do the rest. He's Jehovah Jireh, which means his provision shall be revealed. It means, it's, in other words, it's there. It's just cloaked. When God takes the cloak off, you go, oh, there it is. This is the day the Lord has made. Before you got here, he already prepared the day before you got here. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. So he knew everything you needed was on the cross. Everything was dealt with on the cross. And I'm going to close with this thought because I, I think it's so good. Time can be a curse. Now, we're all subject to time, correct? We're all right now, we're an hour and 22 minutes older than when we got here or when we started the service. And that's time. We can't stop the clock from going that direction. But the Bible says that we can redeem our time. I'm talking to somebody right now. We can redeem the time. That's very specific. I'm going to redeem the time. So... <clears throat> When, when you need a healing and you're dying or you're going to be debilitated as a result of not being healed, you're out of time. You're out of time. When you need to pay your rent or they're going to put you on the street, you're out of time. So time is now working against you. And the way you redeem your time is when you redirect your thinking by saying, this is not the end. Surely God has a plan for me, for he knows his plans, and he's given me a future and hope. Now, if he's got a plan and a future and a hope for me, that means it's beyond for today. I'm still got, I still got air in my lungs. That means I've got a tomorrow, and I've got a tomorrow, then I've got to say so in the matter. I've got to say so. I've got to say so in the matter. So let the weak say, I am strong. I am means presently, now, time Come on, somebody. Has no place in faith whatsoever. Now faith is. 
So when we speak, come on somebody, we're actually not slowing down the time, we're superseding time and getting what we need now. So what the medicine would take for two years to accomplish and maybe not even accomplish at the end of two years, I can get my healing right now because let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich. Let the sick say I am healed. Not going to be healed. The Bible says, if you believe in me, you will be healed. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, you are healed. You can redeem your time. That's good news. Amen, somebody.